everybody. I'm Pastor AJ Hausman, and welcome to Shit They Don't Tell You on Sunday, a podcast to dig deeper into aspects of the Bible that get glossed over or totally ignored in most preaching. The Bible has a lot of parts that are racy, uncomfortable, and sometimes downright horrifying. Let's talk about it. Welcome to episode uh, 14. Today, our guest is Vicar Matt Fulkemer Leonard, who is the pastoral intern at Trinity Lutheran in Wrightsville, PA, and Zion Lutheran in York, PA. So they got you uh, pretty pretty busy up there in Pennsylvania. Yeah, they got me uh, moving all over the place, uh, all across York County. So, you know, you're not the only one. I, it seems as though maybe this is a lower Susquehanna synod thing. Uh, but that a few of you up there have had multiple congregations as interns. Yeah, I think I'm like, I know of at least two other people that are doing similar things. Mine's considered a partnership, okay. which is basically a detached site for those who know what that means. So I'm oh, at, right, right. I'm yeah, at a separate, detached. yeah, so true. I'm at, yeah. So well, at Trinity, I'm the sole person there. And then I, zion lutheran i'm just uh, another one of the staff in a lot of ways so gotcha so um uh for those that don't know if, uh, i can't remember if we've talked about this before but as far as um uh formation to become an ordained pastor um at least in the lutheran church requires um four years um, of a master's of divinity degree that also includes um we call it contextual education which Others may, you know, like if you want it, like clinical hours, things like that is essentially what it is, um, practical stuff. And so a part of that is you have to spend an entire year um, as an intern pastor somewhere. Um, and it's a it's a fun year. Well, for some, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my internship year. But what that means is Matt has completed most of or all of his actual academic work. Have you have you done all of it or do you still have more? Uh, I've done all of it. So I've, uh, I'm actually an official graduate of United Lutheran Seminary as of, Ooh. well, what day was that? The 22nd of May, I guess. And the last piece is my internship. So once I finish in October, then I'll be completely done and just have to go through all the uh, approval steps then. Nice. Well, congratulations on graduating, Mr. Master of Divinity. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so next is just the, the fun process of, of actually starting to, to work with the synods to, you know, get approved to be ordained and get a call um, and then actually doing it, which is its own separate long process um, yep. in and of it itself that starts before you ever go to, to seminary. You have to get psychological evaluations, transcripts, interviews. You do a lot of work for them to even decide you're allowed to go to seminary. Yep. Um, and then once you do that, about halfway through, they're like, mm, let's check on you and see if you're allowed to keep going. Um, and then finally, when you get to the end, they do another step and they decide, okay, you have to sit before that same panel again. And then they decide, oh, you're actually allowed to become a pastor now. So it's an intense process. Um, mm -hmm. And and just for, for folks out there that maybe aren't familiar with it, um, to just... Yeah. To just know that there's there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and um, people that do this, uh, again, at least in the Lutheran tradition, um, work work really hard 
um, to get there. Yeah, it, uh, it takes a lot. It is a lot of, uh, I don't know, AJ will probably tell you, it's a lot of sleepless nights at t- times when you're trying to figure it out. Well, I mean, listen, I only study best in the middle of the night, so well, I just that, gave, gave up on sleep. Well, that's all. I'm right there with you. I never, uh, like, I'm up. Like, I can't not. Yeah. I have to do things. I hear that. Anyways, so um, yep. Matt, our, you know, most newly graduate with his master's of divinity uh we're gonna we're gonna talk about the the gospel reading for sunday july 11th um for those that are are gonna go to church um and this gospel reading is mark six mark chapter six Mm -hmm. verses 14 to 29 Um, And I'm going to read today from the Common English Bible. Um, I just like the words better. Um, And again, my continued encouragement to look at the Common English Bible over the NRSV by colleagues. Um, So check it out. Anyway, so this is the the record that we have in the Gospel of Mark um, about the beheading of John the Baptist. Um, And it's a it's a really juicy story. Um, that Matt and I are going to get into today. So here we go. Let me read it for you. Herod, the king, heard about these things because the name of Jesus had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, and this is why miraculous powers are at work through Jesus. Others were saying he is Elijah. Still others were saying he is a prophet, like the one of the ancient prophets. But when Herod heard these rumors, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised to life. He said he said this because Herod himself had arranged to have John arrested and put into prison because of Herodias, the wife of Herod's brother, Philip. Herod had married her. But John told Herod, it is against the law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias had it in for John and she wanted to kill him, but she couldn't. And this was because Herod respected John. He regarded him as a righteous and holy person. So he protected him. John's words greatly confused Herod, yet he still enjoyed listening to him. Finally, the time was right. It was one of Herod's birthdays when he had prepared a feast for high ranking officials and military officers and Galilee's leading residents. The daughter of Herodias came in and danced, thrilling Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the young woman, ask me whatever you wish and I will give it to you. Then he swore to her, whatever you ask, I will give you even as much as half of my kingdom. She left the banquet hall and said to her mother, what should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, Herodias replied. Hurrying back to the ruler, she made her request. I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter right this minute. Although the king was upset because of his solemn pledge and his guests, he didn't want to refuse her. So he ordered a guard to bring John's head. The guard went to the prison, cut off John's head, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the young woman. And she gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came and took his dead body and laid it in a tomb. This is a rough story. Yeah. 
It's a real rough story. Yeah. Toward to go uh the gospel of the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I someone I uh, one of the things that I read, someone said that too. Like it's really hard to be like, thanks be to God. Like Yeah. Um well before we dig too deep into it, um, I want to talk a little bit about like her Herod and the Herodian family. Mm-hmm. Um for for some that may not know, like there's more than one Herod in the Bible. Um, like it's not just all the the same guy the whole time. And I and I think that's really important to, mm. to understand. Um, so Herod the Great uh was in power when Jesus was born. Uh he was the son of Antipar, who was like super buddy buddy with Julius Caesar, and that's why he was made um the king over this big area. Um, and so Herod the Great was the guy who ordered for all the baby boys under the age of two in and around Bethlehem to be killed. And why um, Mary and Joseph and Jesus had to flee and become refugees um, down in Egypt for a time until um, Herod the Great died, uh, which is dated to somewhere around four to one BCE. Um, which, which is why then like they, Jesus's, uh, birth year is dated to around, um, four BCE. Hmm. Um, we'll just talk about that like time for a minute. Um, BC doesn't mean before Christ. Um, yes. <laughs> as, um, I, I, I think is a, is a general fallacy out there in the world. Um, our time is split between BCE and CE, which is before common era and the, the common era. Um, so like Jesus' birthday isn't zero. It's not actually really about Jesus at all. Um, he's just like, it's around that time. And so I think that Christians have gotten confused over time. Yeah. Well, the, the movie Back to the Future didn't help where it gives you like the birth of Christ, December 25th, 000. Right, 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 right. And that's... <laughs> Good point. I forgot that that's how the, the car was, was, was programmed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also like Jesus was born in the summer. It's a whole deal, right? Like yeah. we, won't, we won't get in to yeah. all of that. Matt and I aren't like expert historians on dates and times and, yeah. and all those things. Anyways, Herod yeah. the Great. Um, so Herod the Great was the Rome appointed leader of Judea. Um, and this area at the time covered the territories of Judea, Samaria, Galilee, um, Decapolis, um, and some others, which is now like modern day Israel, the West Bank, um, part of Syria, and part of Jordan is what, what this area is in and, in and around in that, that Holy Land area. So before this, before Julius Caesar gave this uh, area to Herod the Great to rule over. Um, It had been ruled over by the Hasmonean kings, which were Jewish royalty. Um, And so the difference here is that the Hasmoneans were were a part of the house of Israel, um, meaning they're descended from Jacob. Herod, on the other hand, he's Jewish. Like, let's be clear, that was the whole thing. Like, Mm -hmm. Caesar's like, well, let's at least give it to, you know, have have a Jewish ruler, then they'll accept him and respect him more, even though he is installed and basically a Roman puppet. Um, But he's not from the house of Israel. Uh, His answers came from Esau, uh, Jacob's brother, who is not um, Israel anyways. But remember, so he's he's installed in answers to, to Rome, even though he's Jewish, he's still basically an outsider in this area. 
Um, and Herod the Great had a lot of kids, like mm-hmm. a, a lot. Um, he was one of those guys. Um, but of course, only his sons could have a, a place in his dynasty, basically. So they're the only ones that really get talked about. And so um, Herod the Great um, believes that at some point in time, his first three sons have all plotted against him to overthrow him. Uh, Antipar II, Alexander, and Aristobulus IV. Um, so he just kills them at some point in time. <laughs> Um, and so you, you can kind of start to see Herod's had this, this problem where he's like, you know, super paranoid that someone's going to take over. Um, he had a lot of people killed, like not just his sons and, and a bunch of babies. Mm-hmm. Like he had a lot of staff, other family members. Um, at some point in time, he had like 22 members of the Sanhedrin, uh, which is like the, the Jewish uh, high priest council killed um, be, because of this. So he was just, you know, pretty super paranoid all the time. Um, so his fourth son, who is Herod II, um, also known as Herod Philip, uh, who we hear about in the lesson today. So, so in, our, in our lesson about John the Baptist, it's just Philip. Um, and this is to be different than his other son, Philip. So like after Herod the Great dies, um, his kingdom is split up. And um, part of it is given to, there's Herod Antipas, Herod Archelaus, and Philip the Tetrarch. So there's Herod Philip, and then the other son that we most commonly know as Philip the Tetrarch. Um, they become the rulers when Herod dies. But Herod Philip is the Philip in our reading today. Um, and so basically his, so he would have been the oldest and the heir to Herod the Great's kingdom, right? Except that like right before Herod the Great died, he apparently accused... Um, Herod Philip's mother of being in on one of the plots to to kill him Um, and so he stripped Herod Philip of his titles and so um, Herod Philip is just a a regular guy who ends up living in Rome but also before he dies (laughs) Herod the Great arranges a marriage for Herod Philip and Herodias who is the daughter of uh, Herod of Herod Philip's brother, older brother, Aristobulus. So he's marrying his niece. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so that's who Herodias yeah. is. She's also a part of the family. Herod the Great's granddaughter. Anyways, so there's a some yeah. point in time <laughs> that uh, Herod Antipas goes down to Rome and like meets up with his brother, Herod Philip, and his wife, Herodias, and like takes a liking to her. Um, and some, some say that he like steals her. Um, others say that like she also wanted to climb up the ladder because she was, you know, married off to the, the one brother who didn't get anything. Um, and so she, she wanted to further herself by, by marrying up. But anyways, so the three brothers you have that are, that are over everything. You got Herod Antipas, Herod, Herod Archelaus, and Philip the Tetrarch. Um, the Tetrarch, I always say that wrong. So they, they split up the areas. Um, and so Herod Antipas rules over Galilee and Peria. Herod Archelaus it rules over Judea and Samaria, but he wasn't very good at it. And some people plotted against him and they got him nixed. And so after that is when um, Pontius Pilate started ruling over that area. Um, and then Philip, 
Philip the Tetrarch ruled over the area that is now in Syria. Um, the only cities really of like name in the Bible that we get that are in this area are Caesarea Philippi and Bethsaida. Mm. So anyways, that's a little bit about just about what's going on with this crazy family. And so when our lesson starts for the day, so this is the guy here, uh, Herod is Herod Antipas. So he's this, he's the second brother who's in charge of Galilee Imperium, uh, which, which is where they're at for, for his birthday party. He has already um, stolen his brother's wife and in comes John the Baptist, who really likes to point out like, Hey, uh, this isn't cool. This is, um, this is against the law. It's a, you know, it's the biblical law as far as like just the law law. Um, and you know, um, as a, as a, as a Jewish leader, he should be following them. And so, um, publicly criticized, they have John arrested. Um, and Herodias is so upset about it. Like, as, as we see now, like, um, what it would mean for her, um, cause she maybe has the most to lose if this all falls apart. Right. Um, so she wants, she wants Johnny B's head. That she does. Mm-hmm. On a platter. So this, that's, <laughs> so this story is a lot. It's also um, the, the uh, only story in Mark that Jesus is not involved in. Um, mm-hmm. Jesus isn't here. He didn't go to the birthday party. Isn't, doesn't say anything about it. Isn't a part of any of this. Um, which also in the gospel of Mark, it's an unusual story because it's like super detailed. Um, and it's, it's a long story, which is not the nature of the gospel of Mark. Like Mark's really like, they went there, they did this, then they went here, then they did this. Um, this is how the gospel of Mark reads. And so the fact that like, this is like, he stops and takes time and gives us some details about this particular story. Um, is is uncharacteristic to the Gospel of Mark. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then, think, so, oh, sorry, uh, go ahead. No, sorry. I was just going to say, I think that's important that, I think that's it, especially as you were saying, Mark always goes like immediately and then immediately and then immediately is the word he used, or the author uses. I mean, um, you never, the fact that the author took time, I think is very key in saying, hey, all the other stuff, it's good. You can listen to this, but this key piece here, you gotta, I think this needs to be a little bit flushed out. Yeah. Um, and like, listen, I also want to say that like my prayers are with all the pastors <laughs> that are mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to preach on this on Sunday. Yeah. Um, and Matt and I are going to give you some fun details, but I don't know if we really have some nice conclusive things that, that you can really preach about. Cause this is a, this is a tough story. Yeah, I and I and when I was reading up on it, uh, a lot of the commentaries would tell you, "Oh, it's a is is it a bearable story?" Um, and okay. like, is it does it it doesn't make you feel good at the end? So oh, no. can we actually like take it in? I digest digest the uh, what's the word? Digest it. I, I know I've and find, and find the good news. So um, also, mm-hmm. so um, uh, we're, we're taught to preach in a way that like your job, it's preaching is not the same as like a Bible study or it's not the same as just like mm-hmm. 
you know, talking about the lessons. Preaching is sharing the good news, the good news of grace and love of God through Jesus Christ. Um, That is supposed to be the heart and message of every, every sermon. Right. Um, And, and some weeks it's really hard to find that. And and I would Mm -hmm. say uh, that's what Matt's getting at is in our gospel lesson for today. It's like, who, yeah, where's the good news here. Right. Yeah, that's a, yeah, because I think that's part of what makes the gospel so good and bad at the same time is that it it makes us confront things that we don't want to confront. So I think like today in Mark's gospel, it's really the story about what happened to John and like the, the power dynamics that are going on within the story. I think that's part of the good news is that sometimes there's nothing good that can come out of it yeah. in a way well so the whole point i think for mark is it's not it's not actually about john it, it is still no. about jesus yeah it's um, always about- yeah it's always about jesus so it is about jesus and we get that in the very first um few verses where like people are trying to figure out who jesus is right like he's just kind of up and becoming on the scene um mm-hmm. and so when word gets to Herod antipas uh, about this guy um and he hears the rumors about who this guy could possibly be um like Johnny B already has like a huge reputation. Like yeah. everyone knows who he is. Like he's this holy guy. He baptizes, he preaches these things. Like he's, there were some that like, that thought that he was clearly the Messiah, mm-hmm. right? Like he was that big and that well-known. Um, and, and so as they're reflecting on like who Jesus could be, um, Herod really latches onto this idea that like somehow after he killed John the Baptist or had him killed, Mm -hmm. um his spirit went into jesus or like jesus is has is john's reincarnated spirit something like that that they think that like or or somehow that like jesus is really john just resurrected right um and so that's where the story is is really about jesus is trying to figure out herod's trying to figure out who jesus is and like well maybe he's this guy clearly um so yeah, so it's about John, but it's not. It's always really about Jesus. Um, but even in that, like I, I don't know, I just really struggled to hear some some good news there. Like, okay, yeah. So you killed my cousin, and then just thought that it was me. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> so I'm. Thank you for like mistaking me, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but honestly, I don't know. It's like even that when I say bearable like news, I think that's still hard to take in. Like that's not, that doesn't make you feel good. I know. Right. Like, so there's, there's no justice, right? Like, so we, John, John the Baptist gets, gets no justice. And I think sometimes it's really hard for us to wrestle with, with Bible stories that don't, don't Mm. end with, with God's justice. Right. And so we often wonder then like, so what does this story tell us about God? Um, and we want there to be justice and um, in a story where there's not really any, it's, um, it's really yeah. tough, tough to swallow. Right. Yeah. Just, um, yeah. It's so, I think it, I think that's part of the struggle we can have with faith too at times is when we, we expect this to happen. We expect justice. We expect to see it like right here, right now. And when it doesn't happen, 
then yeah. we question everything. You know, and, so and, and, and Matt, I think you bring up a good point um, that I think very much relates to today when we think about unjust deaths. Mm-hmm. Um, and what immediately to me comes to mind is um, how many persons of color are unjustly killed by police? Um, and, and there's never a justice. Um, and, and also why, you know, it's, it's been a while now, but I, but I still like reflect on the, the Derek Chauvin, um, his trial and why it was such a big deal to have even that shred of justice of someone being yeah. held accountable. Yeah. Cause when you don't see it enough, mm-hmm. um, and you long for it. I'm just speaking personally as myself, as a person of color, I, I watched it and I watched a good bit of it. And, you know, I won't speak for all people of color, but I will say that for me, especially after this past year and a half, mm-hmm. seeing that happen gave me a renewed sense of faith in like the system yeah which how did you, you know, feel going into it i i i just just curious like i i just assumed no matter what they presented in that court he was going to walk away because that's how I, the system has worked for mm-hmm. how long now i would say going in i was maybe 50 50 okay um you had more hope than i did yeah i i think that's I just had 50, it was just 50, 50, because I know that even though it was on camera yeah, and it was clear, there's so much division in the world. And like, it's not new, it's not new division. Like I, I want to make that clear. This is not new division. This yeah. is just division that's being brought up and um, because of social media and video cameras and iPhones and, you know, we can all see it now. Uh, yeah, and clear. I heard, you know, several people talk about that. They're like, if it wasn't for that video, this would have gone totally differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that that also is something um, said about justice and what it meant for just um, men in power being able to do whatever they wanted with the lives of, of those around them. Um, and that's really obvious, I, I think, in our story uh, about Herod today, too. Um, he yeah. had more power than his brother. So he just took her life, right? Like, he had power, um, you know, in, in he also, I mean, so he really didn't follow Jewish laws, right? Like, again, he is Jewish, yeah. but he is a Roman installed puppet still, and mm-hmm. like his father. And so, I mean, so things like uh, they didn't have birth. Jew- Jewish people didn't have birthday parties. Um, that was a Roman pagan tradition to do that. Um, and then ad- additionally, like it's, it's against Jewish law to execute someone without a trial. Um, but Antipas can, right? Because he is the capital jurisdiction granted mm-hmm. by the empire. He can do whatever he wants. That's and why it's you me- see that too is why John's challenging him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's why I think that's why this story for me, when I hear it, I think so clearly about power dynamics and when you stand up to power dynamics, especially unjust power dynamics in a lot of ways. Yeah. What this is this can happen. I think that's just the real 
hard truth that we sometimes don't get to. And as Christians, we sometimes, and even other faith denominations, but this particularly Christians, I think when you stand up for that mm-hmm. and you try to speak out against what's going wrong and how it's not right and how we're not lifting everyone up as we should. Yeah. He's, he's calling them out. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. He's calling out the system of power. Um, and, and, you know, and I, and I think that this also is something that we're very familiar with, um, in, in our context in the United States is, um, people being persecuted for calling out men in power using Mm. their, their, their power abusively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, just in the United States, you know, we say the First Amendment, but, you know, when we talk about that and I don't want to go down that road, but I'm just I think <laughs> it, I think it's a parallel yeah. here in the gospel that. You know, Herod, who, you know, he doesn't really want to kill John. He just wants to imprison him. Well, but, so that's this version in 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 the Gospel of Matthew. Other. Herod does want to kill him. Yeah. Um. And if you read any of, so there's a total parallel. Uh, that's true. To this with with um with the historian Josephus, and Josephus puts it all the way down to political motivations. Um. Doesn't mm-hmm. mention the wife any of that at all. It's just totally Herod wanted to get John out of the way, um, based on political motivations. So there's the wife's fault, or I mean it. It all kind of boils down to, to, I think, the same thing. But in this story, it passes, which is also interesting to look at. Um, the perspective of this story in the Gospel of Mark passes the guilt and the blame from Herod onto his wife. Yeah. What does which, that tell us? Well, it would tell us that, you know, it can't be Herod's fault. And I say this all sarcastically in case you can't see my face. <laughs> um, this it can't be Herod's fault. It has to be the wife's fault. You well, know? Obviously, it's always the woman's fault. Always. Like it, it has to be like, why? How else could it be? But I don't know. I think that I think that's a key point here that you point out that like it's shifting the blame. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Herod has all the power, but doesn't want to take the responsibility. So, you know, you know, it was like, he could have said no, that I think that's a, yeah. Um, which even that, so it's like this, this story puts it as though he was backed into a corner, right? Like yeah. in the room filled with all of the important men of the day, it would make him look weak if he, yeah. if he said no. Right. Again, mm-hmm. it's, so it's, it's passing that blame, um, that somehow he can, wash his hands of this. Um, and I do intentionally use that phrase as we think about how this is some foreshadowing um, to the situation with Jesus and Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate washes his hands of the situation. Like mm. It's not his fault. Yep. Exactly. He's, not, he's not the guilty one. It's someone else's fault. Um, another piece, if we're just talking about totally exploiting people here um, that I think we should, we should dress uh, Matt, right. Is, yeah. Is, is the daughter, um, uh, whom, whom, uh, based on Josephus's writing gives the name, uh, Salome, though she has never given that name, um, in our scriptures. Um, I want to point out a grammatical, um, issue with, um, verse 22 here. Um, so I read the daughter of Herodias came in and danced. Um, some, 
some translations will say Herod's daughter. Um, it, it is not his daughter. This is a grammatical issue um, based on where like there's feminine because there are feminine verbs and feminine and, and then masculine verbs and nouns and things like that. And so it's a bit confusing, um, but it's cleared up in Matthew. Matthew clearly um, states that this is Herodias's daughter. And then also, again, that we're, we're given that information um, from uh, Josephus, who recognizes this as um, Herodias's daughter with um, Herod Philip. Right. So this is his niece <laughs> um, in, in all actuality. Um, but anyway, so it's Herodias's daughter um, that comes in and dances. And let's reflect. This is a young woman. This is this is a teenager who has been brought in um, to perform a seductive dance in front of her stepfather slash uncle and all of his drunk buddies. I'm going to point out another thing about Jewish law that this is a big, this is a big, big no-no um, in Jewish purity law um, um, for women, right? And so, um, just another thing that just stands out is um, some exploitation there. Mm. But I would say she's also exploited by her mother, right? Like she's put in a real rough situation. And I think that goes back to the dynamics of it all, like just the exerting of power onto someone that is, I don't want to say incapable of understanding, but like is it clearly it's shown that she doesn't have, like, I think it's clear that she doesn't know. I mean, what like, could she do? I don't know if that yeah. she doesn't know, but like, what could she do? I mean, yeah. she is, she is the person besides actually, no, I was going to say besides John the Baptist, but she actually is probably lower on the totem pole than John the Baptist would be as far as a power mm. position, right? Like yeah. she's still at least not a man and she's a child. Yeah. So when it comes to like, who's the most vulnerable person in this reading, it's her. it's her, right? She's being exploited by her stepfather slash uncle. She's mm -hmm. being exploited by her mother. Um, and how often, I, I, let's just look at the grand scheme. Like how often do children get exploited? for the schemes of their parents or some other adult with power in their life. No. More times than we can count or even we like talk about today on this, on the podcast. Cause like it, yeah. like, I think probably why I'm saying power dynamic is because in, I think it's like you were saying, she's the most vulnerable out of all the characters in this story. And I don't know if she has not the art. I, I don't know if the autonomy for her is there for her to like claim. No, I, this is not what we should be doing. Like, mm -hmm. I think she has, she wants to please her mom. She um, is maybe scared or afraid of her father's step, her stepfather slash uncle and all drunk buddies. Cause like that, I, I'm, that has to be a scary situation where yeah. like all these grown men, or in a room and I have to dance seductively to them. That's just like the exploitation factors on that. I wonder, and this is totally me inserting this, but like, I just, I wonder like what, what was going through her head is sort of like, how do I get out of this room without being raped? Yeah. You know, like if those were the kind of thoughts that were going through her mind, 
when she was like, okay, the only thing I listened to my mom, she's going to get me out of this safely. Um, Cause this is a dangerous situation um, for, for a young woman, mm-hmm. right? A vulnerable young woman. Um, you should tell us about the, the opera. Oh, the, yes. So um, I give all credit to my wife, Margaret, uh, for bringing this up to me. Um, so she was telling me about this opera, uh, Sa- Salome, um, and, and it's an opera based off the Oscar Wilde play on this story. Mm-hmm. So it's very much in the very brief synopsis of it. But it focuses um, on Salome, who is, is the name is Gordius's daughter. This is the young yes. girl. It focuses on the uh, young girl in our gospel today, uh, Herod's stepdaughter, who um, it's a very sexualized play about the daughter. Um, and it really talks about how they frame her in a light that's not what you hear in the gospel or what we what we talk about what we've been talking about today. It really is like she's fallen in love with John the Baptist and like is trying to save John the Baptist, but John the Baptist rejects her. And like Herod comes in and Herodias comes in and they they play their parts. But it really ends up with like Salome dying at the end after John's beheaded. And this is a sort of graphic piece of the play. And I don't want to give it all away in case you are into like operas and you want to go any musical theater and you want to watch this. But there's at one point where they have like Salome kissing the beheaded head of John the Baptist. So I apologize. So I'm sorry, I apologize for that graphic, but like it, it really like what I found and read up on was that it really is trying to con- make it seem like it's Salome's fault for all the things. And like it's framing her in this mind frame of like, oh, she's crazy. You know, this hysterical wom- young woman doesn't know what she's doing. And so they to control her is to we have to kill her at the end and it's like this i forget the phrasing that because i talked to my wife about it because she like uh she read up on it and she like had studied it and i think it was like in feminist um feminist um readings interpretations that's like one way that they would try to control the woman in a sense in plays and in literature was to control her we have to make her sound like she's hysterical and doesn't know what she's doing and like is frantic and like she's out of control. So we have to control this. We have to kill that, her. That women are emotional. Right? Tragic. And so that's the, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that the, that's the women clearly don't make rational decisions. Cause yeah. 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 And that's interesting. Cause again, like looking at the perspective of who's the most vulnerable person in this story. Right. Um, uh, which both of us immediately would I would identify as this young girl being exploited. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in that perspective of, of a, a man in power, maybe um, that that's the easiest person then to exploit with blame um, and to make it her fault, as it clearly sounds like the, the, that's what the opera is doing. Right. Like the, the t- turn that around and then make that on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, which does say a lot about. Um, you know, when we read stories about history, um, remember the phrase that like history is written by the victor. 
um, which means that's always the perspective. Um, and that is nowhere more true than it is in American history, I think. Mm. Um, now, no, that's not true. Everybody's history is, is whitewashed in that same way. Um, but to, to see that too, that like to start to read the stories with looking at the perspectives of the other people involved. So if we look at, at the same, same story from someone else's perspective, say hers, what would this story sound like? Maybe I just wanted to get out of this room alive. Yeah. You know? I don't know. Anyways, I always think that's a, that's a good takeaway um, is to, to try to reframe. How do we reframe history by looking at stories from a different perspective than maybe what traditionally has been written down in history? Yeah, I think that that's a powerful point because you never... I think we can go, as you were saying, we can go to any country and whoever is the ruling power class in that country, they determine the story in a yeah. lot of ways. I think of Hamilton also, you know, but uh, history has its eyes on you hmm. and it and especially the George Washington piece where you see if you ever seen Hamilton or listen to it, where George Washington tells Alexander Hamilton who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Yeah. I think that if we looked at it from that lens in a way and like, not like try to put ourselves in the shoes of that young girl, I think this gospel would open up to us in a lot of ways and make us see, you know, this wasn't just her being irrational. Yeah. <laughs> this wasn't just her like, being like over the top or whatever they put her in a position that was not safe I think. well then then maybe matt there's your your good news as we think about um all the other stories about jesus who does jesus always side with who is it that jesus is mm -hmm. always sticking up for is always representing jesus is always always going to the most vulnerable person right yeah. And we jumped to John. I think that I think that's yeah, the key we do. Thing. I think we immediately you're right. would jump to John being the most vulnerable person as the imprisoned person in the story. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, like he is vulnerable, but he also is not right. Like mm -hmm. he he could have not gone to prison. Right. Like he could have done things a little bit differently. Um, he definitely had power over his own situation to an extent, right? That like he could have ended, things could have ended differently, I, I think for, which would have been, you know, probably giving up his own morals and convictions and things like that. But like, he still had some power there. Yeah. Um, whereas this girl, on the other hand, I, I don't think does, um, doesn't even, you know, really have those options. I don't think it not they won't even like open to her, I think is what we should take away from this as well. Is like No, she's a pawn, she's a ploy in the plot, she's being used. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, is just like a person with virtually no power as a young unmarried girl. Mm -hmm. So wow. So we've had quite a <laughs> quite a deep conversation today well i mean it is again when we talk about uncomfortable uh stories in the bible 
um, both Matt and I, as soon as we like looked at the lectionary for this, we were like, oh, how do you not talk about this? Yeah. Right. There's just so much going on. Um, and again, I want to say for, for all the, the pastors out there, um, my, my prayers are with you on, on, on what you can, what you can do with this text. Um, and, and maybe, uh, Matt and I have said something today that, that could help you with this. Um, and for those of you who just listened to this podcast, cause this is your chunk of Bible for the week. Um, and you're not planning on, on going to church. Um, I, I hope that you've learned something about, um, looking and looking at, looking at the perspectives of, of these stories, uh, just a little bit differently, um, and digging deeper into the, the different players, um, that are working. Anything else you want to add? Uh, just thank you for letting me talk with you about the Bible today. And, you know, um, I don't, I think this is a good, this is a conversation that needs to be had because it's so, I think it's present more so now in our lives, in our daily lives than at any point in our history, just because of the technology we have. So I think it, I think it's good that we had this conversation. I think, I think it might that like us. the issue of having the vulnerable being exploited has always been a part of our history. Yeah. I just think we're at a point in time in history where people, people are finally willing to talk about it and to recognize it and to do something about it. Mm, 100% agree. And I think that has to do with technology, right? Like there's so much exploitation that like we didn't know existed because we, we didn't have access to know it existed, right? Mm-hmm. Like things just went under the radar. And, and now I, I think that that's all changed, right? Agreed, 100%. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, Matt. Um, and um, that's you. it for this week. Um, hope, you, hope you got some good nuggets today. Uh, but anyways, uh, look for us uh, next Tuesday on Shit They Don't Tell You on Sunday. Um, and follow us on uh, Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Shit They Don't Tell You on Sunday. Um, and subscribe to get, you know, notifications of newest episodes, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, um, and share this with, with friends and family that you think might want to journey with us. Take care, everyone. Bye.